Hey, uh, this is Dave. Uh, hey, Dave. Dave Ross. I wasn't. I wasn't talking to you. Oh, sorry. I was talking to. Sorry, the listeners. Oh, hi guys. <laughs> Uh, well, this episode is sponsored by AdamandEve.com, where you where you can go and enter offer code SEXNERD, yeah. and uh, you get all this stuff just for being a listener to this show. So go, enter offer code SEXNERD. You'll get 50% off almost everything they have, Yeah, uh, if you want to buy everything they have. Everything. Uh, you'll get three free DVDs, a free gift, and free shipping. Which is quite honestly nuts. Now that I'm reading it, it's, like it's a ridiculous. Lot of There's so you get so many things. Yeah, uh, you can. Well, and they have like a crazy amount of stuff. Uh, from what I can tell, they have a lot of costumes. Uh, sexy I, maid, anyone? Dude. Yeah, you could be a maid. You could be <laughs> a sexy some sort of animal. Uh, <laughs> a sexy body stockings. <laughs> a sexy book. <laughs> sexy Lino from the Thundercats. I don't think that these are products that they sell. But what they do have is pretty hot. <laughs> and it's really easy to size. Is it? Yeah. Cool. It's very, it's very, they're simple costumes, but they're very sexy. I don't know anything. <laughs> anyway, we're sponsored by adamandeve.com. So. Hey, offer code sex nerd. Because <laughs> you know we are. Dates. Dates. Uh, I'm going to do this fast because sometimes it takes 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, I, uh, as far as stand up goes, if you want to see uh, my comedy, uh, which, why would you? Uh, why would you want that? Uh, I want it. <laughs> Give it to me, Dave. No, you should. Uh, uh, every Tuesday until February 5th, uh, my show, Holy Fuck, in downtown L.A. is uh, recording, uh, I don't know, the entirety of every show for an album. So if you are ever going to come to that show, please do come. Then February 2nd is uh, the second anniversary of Woo! my storytelling show in Echo Park. And I will be touring through New Orleans and Austin and New York City February 14th to 20th, I think. So Jealous. all that stuff is on uh, my website, Dave, to the Ross.com. Sweet. Yeah. We also have some sex stuff. Sex, sex stuff. Dates. Laughter first, sex second. We have our first live podcast in months and months and months on February 1st at yes. 9 p.m. at yes. the Nerdist Theater at Meltdown Comics. And I've been saving up all these stories and ridiculous things that have happened in the research of the mating dance called humans. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about being single. And how to either relish in that or stop it for yourself. Yeah. And pick up artist tips for people who aren't douchebags. Oh, man. It's going to be great. Oh, anyway, man. but speed dating's happening at 7 p.m. on February 1st at NerdMelt. Uh, you can go to nerdmeltla.com for tickets. It's 15 bucks, And please, we do have some slots left. So please join us because you will leave feeling better about yourself than when you walked in. I swear. <laughs> and then 9 p.m. would be the podcast. Please join us. Everybody's welcome. So I guess what, what we're saying is... February, uh, Tuesday, February 29th, you should go to Holy Fuck at the Downtown Independent. Then uh-huh. that Friday, you <laughs> should come at 7 for speed dating at Nerd Melt and then stay at 9 for the podcast mm-hmm. and then come to Two at a Beast on Saturday, which is my storytelling show. And then, you know, come see us in New York also. That's right. On the 21st, we're performing in New York City. We don't have the fucking venue yet. <laughs> it's going to be great. And there are actually a lot of venues that we can possibly do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, take, you can just check sexnerdsonder.com and it'll be on there uh, when we post it. Uh, and Vassar on the 22nd and 23rd. That's going to be great. Yeah, non-con. Non-con at Vassar. It's kind of non-con. It's so crazy. I literally like grew up in Orange County, New York, and we would drive to the Chance in Poughkeepsie every weekend to see shows. 
Uh, I saw Blink-182 and Unwritten Law there when I was a kid. We're living the dream, you know, Dave. I know. Living the dream. The sexy, sexy dream. Yeah. Uh, and then, please, in San Francisco on the 25th and 26th of February, hey, I'm talking about butt sex on that Monday and Fifty Shades of Grey and BDSM on that Tuesday. So it's 20 bucks advanced. Uh, last time we packed the house with Sex Nerd Sandra listeners, and I would love to uh, talk booty play and spanking. All sorts of booty stuff, actually. Um, yeah, at Good Vibes on Polk Street. All right. Enjoy the podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra Podcast. Whoa, what are these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone... Let's start the show. Hello, sex nerds. Um, are you feeling sexy today? Well, I am. Yeah? No, not really. But I mean, you know, I don't feel not sexy. Yeah. You got to wear more satin. Like I'm wearing this silky shirt. I don't know. Immediate any, feeling sexy. I don't know any satin. No. What do you mean immediate feeling? Like just walking around, the movement on your body is... is Wearing um, sensual fabrics, because I'm a big cotton person. Not uh-huh. that sensual, but the minute you can get that like nice jersey cotton at least, or like a nice satin or a silky something. I don't know. It just it changes the way you feel it. You just start touching yourself. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm cool. I'm sexy. Or a nice <laughs> textured uh, blazer, you know, like a nice texture to it. I love textures. Yeah, like tweed. Yeah, it's got the right feel to it. Great on dates too, because then you're real touchable, and then for sure. no reason, people just touch you more. I mean, unless you don't like, don't fucking touch me. Then maybe wear polyester or something. Yeah, that's true. Going on a date with a girl who's wearing like a silk dress oh, yeah. Uh, is yeah, it's like touch very me. difficult to not put my hand on her back, uh, especially yeah. like when you're going and out dancing. Keep it there. Mm. Yeah, I rarely do, but yeah, totally. Oh. Yeah. I want to take up swinging soon. I mean, okay, swing nice. dancing, swing dancing. Nice. <laughs> yeah, swing. Swing. Ah, <laughs> I want to swing dance, partner dancing. Jeez. I'm excited about today's show because we haven't talked in B- about BDSM and uh, relationship styles in a long while. And uh, Ryan Witherspoon, soon to be Doctor Ryan Witherspoon. Oh, I'll no say way. it. I'll say it. Uh, soon, like in four <laughs> or five years. I'm, I'm on the way. Are you in graduate school yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm working towards the PhD, but it's, it takes a long time. I would imagine. Oh, yeah, and, uh, it does. No, but okay. Ryan, nice to meet you. Hello. It's very nice to Thank meet you. you. Welcome the show. For being Thank you for having me. Uh, I've known you for a while now, and you just are so knowledgeable and wonderful to talk to um, when we hang out. Aww. And please tell listeners um, what you're about and what you do and. Uh, all right. Well, uh, like uh, Dave said, I'm a graduate student in psychology working towards my PhD. And one of my main research interests has been BDSM, kink, and polyamory. So for the last couple of years, I've been uh, traveling around the country, speaking at academic conferences on these subjects and some others, uh, publishing and giving a couple lectures. And this interest is personal, too, because my wife and I are polyamorous and we're involved in the BDSM community. Mm-hmm. And so kind of straddling these two worlds, you know, the the academic professional world and also the actual worlds, of these lifestyles, has given me, I think, a really uh, interesting perspective, you know. And so it's really instilled in me, I think, a passion for advocating for more education and awareness among therapists and mental health professionals about how to work with people. 
who are practicing these lifestyles. And so that's what I'm trying to do. It's so important. We need a lot more people um, who can straddle those two worlds. They're really different cultures in some way. And so you need therapists that have a level of uh, cultural competence. Mm -hmm. You want to eventually have a a practice as a psychologist working with um, people, or are you looking more to do your own research? Uh, Both. Right now, I'm kind of focusing a lot more on the research, but I would like to have a private practice and see clients, you know. But right now, I'm very passionate about the research work that I'm doing and will continue to do. Ah, so exciting. So, okay. It's fun. I call you, I mean, I know it's a couple years, but you're... The thing is, is you are such the overachiever that you're already presenting (laughs) at conferences and you've already been published. Well, you know... I wish I could say it was all because I'm just super cool. I mean, I am pretty cool. But it's it's just a matter of, uh, as part of this academic path that I'm traveling on right now, you have to get a lot of this research experience to be competitive in these programs and whatever. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the bottom line is it's really fun for me. It's really interesting. It doesn't really even feel like work. You know, it's not like I'm sitting there writing a paper going, oh my God, I want to finish a paper. It really is fun. I love to talk to people you know, professional audiences, regular people uh, about these things because I just find them so fascinating. Yeah, and we were talking um, before we started recording about how there aren't... Because I asked, like, oh, do you do your own research or are you um, analyzing research that's already out there? And you're like, there's really not that much research. And, And how much research is there on alternative sexuality right now? Well, it depends, because that's a pretty broad topic, so it depends on kind of what you mean specifically. Uh, I will say the research on BDSM, it used to be practically non-existent, even though it's it's been present in, in the academic literature since uh, the 70s, but it really hasn't had any focus. But in the last decade, we're seeing a much uh, larger surge of interest in this academically as it's becoming less and less of a... Of a seemingly you know alternative or or fringe uh, medicalized yeah as as the stigma is starting to become lowered we're seeing more and more researchers and higher profile researchers Mm -hmm. being willing to explore this and but in regard to say polyamory uh you know there's there's not much research at all but again we're seeing a little more now but uh it hasn't quite caught up to bdsm in terms of how much uh research is out there okay yeah whenever i hear about non-monogamous talks and mm-hmm. I go going oh polyamory it's always swingers it's always like playing right. the swingers I'm like why that's just yeah. one group well it seems like swingers uh, or, or swinging has a lot higher visibility mm-hmm. there's a lot more of them you know it's just much more common than, more structured than to full blown polyamory yeah, it's, yeah I think it's also easier to understand uh, from like a generic uh, like the standpoint that most people come from yeah I think it's, it's like seem, the closest to monogamy yeah, yeah. it's like it's like mm-hmm. monogamy plus Totally. It's like you dipping your toe in the water or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I like that. It's like monogamy plus. It's like Google Plus, but for monogamy. It's like a new social network. But this could be a new career. Plus. Yes, make the website. Uh-huh. Monogamyplus.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so I asked you, to please, please, please bring research and, and knowledge into our world because uh, so much is hearsay or like what my experience is versus your experience. But mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. But did you did you bring us some juicy research? I brought you a few tidbits yes. uh, in terms of like what's out there. So, for instance, a lot of people don't know, like take BDSM, how mm-hmm. common it is. Um, some studies have found that about 14% of American men 
and 11% of American women have admitted to uh, practicing or trying some kind of BDSM. And that's kind of a lot. I mean, to put that in perspective, you know, the percentage of Americans who are African-American or over 65 is like 13%. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of people who have tried Ooh. this. And uh, there was a big study in Australia, like 20,000 people, and they found that within the last year, about 2% of adults had practiced BDSM, you know, just in that last year. Mm-hmm. And so oh. I, I think it's a lot more common than most people really probably realize. You know, they're very common fantasies to have. They're very common interests to have. And there's a lot of misconceptions about it. You know, some people think that people who uh, are involved in BDSM are mentally ill or, you know, have some kind of sexual abuse or trauma in their past. And actually, research has, uh, has found that people who are involved in BDSM are no more likely to be mentally ill. Uh, they, they test pretty average on psychological measures of well-being, mm-hmm. and they're no more likely to have been sexually abused. So, so they're really, in a lot of cases, just normal folks who have certain kinky interests. So I'm not screwed up? Well, <laughs> not in that way. Not for that reason. No, it's, yeah, being a pretty just normal person, really. People always are like, what's wrong with this one? It's like, no, nothing's wrong. I'm just... Yeah, yeah. About, I like to- By the way, uh, just to clarify, because I uh, BDSM is an acronym for bondage, oh. domination, sadism, and masochism. Is that what it is? Uh, it's close. Yeah, it's uh, bondage and discipline, bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. Oh, I didn't realize that it layered. I oh yeah, it's so I didn't know clever, that at all. isn't it? It just yeah. Wait, so what? it really should be BDDSSM. Right, uh, right. But it rolls off the tongue as BDSM. I like that. Yeah. yeah. A little more collective. It's, 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 it's I, compact for travel. BDSM. Exactly. Exactly. Four letters, six words. Uh, and it, I mean, I'm curious to see what the questionnaires were for the research because if someone's like, oh, yeah, I've practiced BDSM in the last year or in my lifetime, I mean, mm-hmm. were some of the questions like, have you ever been spanked or spanked someone else uh, sexually or mm-hmm. have you ever enjoyed having your hair pulled or. Um, do you ever bite or, you know, cause like, even if you're like, kissing someone, you might like nibble on their lips. I mean, and that can sure. kind of play with that kind of sensation. Sure. I mean, all BDSM really is, is it's, uh, sensation play and a kind of eroticized role play or power exchange. And so that can encompass, that can be as wide ranging as you want it to be. That can be a little spanking here or like a little, bite in the neck or it can go into you know a lot more elaborate and and uh, and and serious stuff but it's hard to kind of draw the line on what is and isn't bdsm because judging by the definition it all kind of is mm-hmm. yeah it's just a spectrum of yes mm-hmm. that's a good word to use yeah. people think about pain like oh then if you like bdsm you like pain it's like no well there's sensation and then at some point it may turn into pain and then pain goes but there's all that juicy sensation before pain gets yeah, involved. Yeah, people always focus on the pain thing, you know, and they always see the most kind of extreme examples of that. But really, uh, it, it, the pain doesn't have to be involved at all. It can be a matter of, you know, an eroticized role play or just rope bondage or, or some kind of thing that doesn't involve pain but involves some kind of power exchange or sensation. Mm-hmm. Yes. What else is on that sheet over there? <laughs> oh gosh! I, I'm like looking um, over at your sheet. I just sorry. I want everything. I'm just like give it all to me. But well, I could read all this stuff to you, but it's kind of boring. Oh my god, are those PowerPoint sheets? Sort of. I, I brought them to kind of like prompt myself in case I totally had a brain fart and couldn't think of what I was wanting to say. So. Are those from your presentations? Uh, one, some of them are, and some are other colleagues' presentations that I've presented with that had kind of 
cool stuff summarized in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm curious because mm-hmm. you sort of just jumped in and started just swimming around in all the BDSM research and kink research. Right. I mean, now, if you had a past in, like, you had experience, life experience in that play before you got involved in it, right. were you surprised by anything? Like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this, or I thought it was like this, but really it's like that. You know, it, it gives you an interesting perspective. But my my sense, just kind of being a member of the community, is that a lot of the stuff they're finding is stuff that we all have been like, well, yeah, duh, you know, because we're in it and we can kind of feel this and we know it to be true for ourselves. So it's nice to see that validated scientifically. Ah, You know, like one study came out a couple of years ago that uh, it measured um, people's cortisol levels. Cortisol is a stress hormone and it measures uh, physiological levels of stress and they took measurements like before, during, and after a BDSM scene, and they found, you know, lo and behold, that a successful BDSM scene lowered cortisol or stress levels, and it improved uh, the couple's measures on on um, on relationship satisfaction. And so we read that in the literature, and we think, oh, great, there it is. But to us, we've been like, well, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, you feel so relaxed after you've gotten smacked yeah. around a little bit. Well, yeah, well, it's nice to kind of let go of some of that uh, control that we all have to kind of uh, keep in our daily lives. Um, now, BDSM is such a huge category. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Dave, we've, we've talked, remember Mistress Mary? Like, she'd come in. Oh, and, yeah. Remember the live show we did where we had all the bonded stuff? I think it was, like, one of the first things that you came in for. Yeah, I, uh, that's one of my favorite uh, live shows I've ever done. That yeah, was a great show. that was really fun. It was really fun. Uh, so we went over a lot of the basics there, um, so definitely check out that episode. But we didn't talk much about the psychology of it. No, yeah, not at all, so is, that's what I'm excited. Yeah. And, Ryan, uh, we were talking about, um, possibly talking about the DS part of it, which is the dominance right. and the submission, the power play. Right. That seems to be something that you're, you're extra... Well, it's really, it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of people who don't know about BDSM, they can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, gosh, I, get, I like getting spanked once in a while. I can kind of understand that. But a lot of people uh, choose to engage in, you know, DS relationships where the entire relationship, either all the time or just during certain times, mm-hmm. has a kind of dominant and submissive structure. And... Uh, and some people find that, I think, a little more difficult to understand because it's a little more outside of what the kind of uh, more prevalent, normal kind of relationships are. And it's really interesting to me because, you know, what people see when they look at people doing BDSM plays, they see the top or the dom doing stuff to the bottom or the submissive, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're whipping them or whatever. And they think, oh, OK, the, the dom's in charge. He's doing whatever he wants and it's about his pleasure. And it's actually really not like that at all. The, the submissive is the one that sets the boundaries, that is the one that, the, that kind of has the power. Well, they both have the power to kind of uh, stop the scene if they want to, you know, safe word. And it's really about both of them being on this journey together. It's about both of them experiencing pleasure. And it's not this one-sided, the top is in charge and totally. does everything he wants. And so what you see in... A DS relationship is it might look like oh gosh okay um, 
the the submissive person in the relationship has all of these rules. Mm-hmm. They have to be dressed a certain way. They have a certain protocol they have to follow. They have to serve their master drinks in a certain way. And they think, oh, okay, this is all about what the, the, the dom wants. But in reality, you know, DS relationships, they're negotiated. They're consensual. Mm-hmm. Uh, the submissive person is getting a lot out of this. Every ritual they do, every, you know, service that they perform... Uh, it's really for them kind of a a symbol of the whips and chains of like a BDSM scene. It's a way for them to sort of renew these vows to their partner yeah. all the time. Yeah, and I've talked to tops who are way like they're so considerate of their submissives' needs and wants, and yeah. they're such a service top that it's almost exhausting to be the top because you're constantly serving the bottoms needs to be the bottom. Right. Well, you know, hopefully your needs converge so that they're kind of pleasurable for both of you. But, uh, you know, in the scene, sometimes being called a service top or a pleasure top is kind of seen as derogatory. And I really take issue with that because Mm -hmm. I feel like, well, you know, the whole point is that you are taking this person, this submissive, uh, on a journey that they want to go on. And it's not all about you and what you want. And granted, what you want is going to factor into that when you talk to them about what you want to do. But it really has to be a two-way exchange here. I've never heard... I, I mean, I never thought of service top being a derogatory. Because I have met so many tops that call themselves service tops. Yeah, I talk to know. enough male doms and BDSM clubs, and you'll mm-hmm. sort of hear this sort of denigration, like, oh, you're just a you know pleasure top or whatever. You're just a pleasure top. What is yeah. the difference between a service top and a pleasure top? I think they're synonymous, honestly. Yeah. Or a top top. Well, what is, yeah. I guess, what does it mean? Uh, well, I, I think when they, when they say it, they're talking about a dom who is i guess only interested in you know pleasing the submissive and not and doesn't exert their own i guess will and doesn't oh, just I do see. whatever they want i mean there's some you know you get any uh large enough group of people whether it's bdsm or surfers or whatever and you're going to have some people in there that are jerks yeah you sure. know and so you get some some uh doms who really just want it to be about whatever they want to do to people and you know i think those are the ones that sometimes will look down on the others that they view as being uh being too focused on the sub's pleasure which i just think you know i I think the whole thing is ridiculous sure looking down on anyone for doing what they want to do is uh I don't know. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, people think, think that like the power exchange yeah. only goes one way, that it's the submissive exchanging all their power to the top. And really, it has to be a two way exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, the submissive uh, exchanges some limited power over themselves within the boundaries that they set. But in return, the top exchanges some power over what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, they give to the submissive the power to set the limits, to call the scene when they want to stop. And there has to be this two-way exchange of respect and this two-way exchange of energy, you know. Otherwise, it's just kind of one person doing whatever they want to the other person. Yeah, and, and that isn't very hot. Yeah, that's more that's so fascinating though. And consent. You, oh, sorry. Sure. Well, consent is just absolutely essential. That's what makes BDSM BDSM. Yeah, not you abuse. Know, BDSM without consent is abuse. Yeah. Right. And it has to be you know an active, ongoing, enthusiastic uh, consent. Yeah, it can't just be hey, I want to do BDSM to you. Is that okay? Yeah, and then you like do some other weird, crazy <laughs> thing. It has to be like you know, <laughs> uh, do you like this, this, and this? And it has to be something where the person really knows. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, for those of us who who uh, haven't dabbled much with BDSM uh, 
the two of you could take us inside the mind of someone. I'm curious, mm. like, right. yeah, I have like, uh, I, I, I know that I have like dominating tendencies, uh, mm-hmm. but I still haven't touched on this stuff really at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really curious what, I guess I, I mean, whatever pleases you is what pleases you, but I guess what drives you to want this such elaborate type of, of pleasure or role play or whatever it is. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like what, how does it feel to be this person? I guess is what I'm wondering. Well, I can I mean, like, wait, like, so you're saying like, you're like exa- kind of have dominant tendencies and just like sex play. Well, take me whereas- out of it. I shouldn't have even said that. Uh, what I mean is like, what, uh, what do you think drives you towards this? What, how, how would a person and why would a person find BDSM and, and being a dom or a sub? What takes you there? Like the origins. What, yeah. what do you get out of that as opposed to other types of sex and relationships? Okay. Well, I can definitely speak to kind of a lot of the common themes that you hear in this stuff. And um, I think on the submissive end, on the bottom end... Um, you know, there is a certain pleasure and relief that comes in surrendering some limited control of yourself over giving somebody some control and able to kind of let yourself go and relax into the moment. You know, it's that, uh, first off, a lot of the sensation play feels really good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and second, you know, like, for instance, take pain, for instance, somebody who's more of a masochist. It's not that, you know... All they want to do is feel pain. It's that the the amount of uh, power they can feel by overcoming that, mm-hmm. you know, can oh, really interesting can be a, a huge boost their self esteem. Be able to say, "Man, I can, I can take it, take that," and yeah. and what it can mean for them as a person. And uh, there's really, I think, a lot of power that comes in submission. To be secure enough in yourself that you're comfortable saying, all right, I'm going to give you the reins for a while, you know, and just kind of trust that. Also security in your relationship. Yes, yes. Um, it, it takes so much trust, BDSM, and that's why it can be a wonderful thing for relationships because, you know, you need so much trust and open communication to be able to do this with each other on both ends and it can really enhance the level of intimacy in the relationship mm-hmm. because of that. And uh, I think on the on the dom end, the top end, you know, certainly some people just have a natural inclination where the idea of being in control in a BDSM kind of sense is really hot for them, and that's right. definitely one aspect. And on the other aspect, I think a lot of it is, you know, when somebody trusts you enough to give you that level of control over them, again, within those parameters and all that, you know, it's a tremendous sense of pride. And it's a sense of like, all right, this person is trusting me. I have to be at my best. Mm-hmm. You know? Also adds self-esteem and self-worth exactly. to you as well. Yeah, exactly. I might also wonder if the control thing seems... I mean, that really sparked something in me. I mean, I would imagine... Like I said that I have I have dominating tendencies during sex and I would imagine one of the reasons for that is that I don't really feel in control that often uh, mm-hmm. and that's and I would bet you I mean like is are there studies that have been done or or is there any data on the types of people like are people in power uh are they drawn to being a sub more you know what I mean I would just imagine yeah, yeah. someone who's like runs a company I know it's a cliche but I would just imagine like you know, you like you tend to go to the other side of what your life is like. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, something that we hear a lot, but I think 
Yeah, is that real? Is it something you hear no, a lot? I haven't heard no, it a lot. I mean, I, well, I do, but yeah, that's a great question. Is, tell us, Ryan. Oh, gosh. I wish I could say that definitively with research, but they're just we don't have data to support that. But right, I, I would imagine people who run companies aren't going to say, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I get beat up. Well, I, exactly. But, I mean, anecdotally, I can say that that's definitely a trend because, you know, if you were living a life where you have to be type A in control all the time, mm-hmm. it feels really good to kind of let that go. Yeah. But uh, we don't have data to support That's that so either way. We do know that, you know, leaning towards being dominant or submissive in your orientation tends to be split pretty evenly among the sexes. Hmm. And a lot of people, of course, identify as switches where they can kind of go either way. Is it really split What do you mean evenly? split evenly? Yeah. You mean... I mean, generally, that, you mean generally one is a sub and one is a dom, or it's no, split I mean, amongst all people. Yeah, amongst all. I mean, I mean, a uh, a man or woman is no more or less likely to be dominant or submissive. You know, I think when you the the public BDSM huh. scene, you see generally a little more of the female submissive, male dominant end. But what you don't see is the entire. Uh, professional BDSM industry, you know, dungeons and mistresses mm-hmm. and all that, who cater uh, just about exclusively to male clientele. You know, male submissives aren't always as comfortable being public oh, about that's it. That's true. Um, right. But, you know, there's always this, this image people's head that women are always the submissive ones, men are the dominant, and that really isn't true. It's it's actually pretty equal. I'm so full of joy that you just shared that. I didn't know it was so <laughs> split. I mean, I was hoping, <laughs> but I was like, yeah. Huh. Oh, gotta like mull that over for a minute. So interesting. It's just so fascinating to me. What? It's because it's just not me. I mean, maybe. It, I mean, maybe. But I know I, it sounds what you're saying. It sounds like it might be. Yeah, but I'm, I just mean like <laughs> the seeking out. I don't know. I the psychology of it is just so interesting to me mm-hmm. because I guess you know I'll get I'll go to an extreme. There are people that I would imagine can only get off in BDSM situations. We're like, right. that's their fetish. Yeah, sure. There are some people like that. I would like to know what takes you there. Well, I think it's a bit of crossing wires because, you know, fetishes, BDSM can be a fetish, but it doesn't have to be. And, and fetishes are, are very powerful sexual turn-ons uh, or preferences. And they're usually they usually start very young in your life you you can't control what your fetish is or becomes if you have one Mm -hmm. you know and and it manifests as a very powerful thing and people there's a whole spectrum you know some people have just a definite preference for something and some people you know can only achieve uh, orgasm or whatever when they're engaging in that and so for some people bdsm fills that niche and for some it doesn't it's just something they like yeah I think a fetish is something where you have to have it most of the time to get off. A fetish? Really? Well, you know, this sort of uh, academic or medical term of a fetish is meant to to insinuate when it's something that the person needs to feel mm-hmm. sexually fulfilled. But I think that the term is used more colloquially as just a strong turn on. Mm-hmm. You know? I guess I lean more toward the medical definition. But yeah, I do acknowledge that colloquially, like, you know, I guess yeah. the accuracy in the terms, I'm like, ah, oh, fetish. No, it's not a fetish. It's just a major turn on. <laughs> but I mean, I understand. It's like kink. The word kink can refer to so many things. And yeah. It's it's like, what does kink mean to you, friend? Like before yeah. we continue this conversation, because I mean, like kink. What is? Because you were saying like you study BDSM and kink. Mm-hmm. And what is kink? Well, you know, 
I interpret the word kink a little more broadly than some, where I, I view kink as encompassing BDSM and power exchange and that kind of stuff, and also consensual non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of other people, uh, kink refers just to more BDSM specifically. Okay. Okay. But for me, I kind of use kink as a general alternative sexuality term, you know, fetishism and BDSM and polyamory and swinging and all these other, mm-hmm. other things. Alt. Alt, alt stuff. Yeah. Alt sex. It's <laughs> yeah. a good term. Yeah. It's good. Indie sex. Oh, I feel like I want to do like a whole thing on just exploring dominance and Dave's because like you seem I'm really enjoying that you're so curious about this stuff. Well I just love uh I'm just always so fascinated with what what is going on in people's heads and and more specifically what's subconsciously going on in people's heads because I want to know what's going on in mine I guess yeah. that's why <laughs> uh, and I mean obviously the thing is that that at the baseline it's it's like you said it's it's so young that it happens it's like it's not actually something that for fetishes you mean yeah and I would I would imagine with a lot of the psychology of human beings it's not like one day they're like well I'm an alcoholic now you know what I mean? Right, like, right. I need to deal with my problems, and I will be turning to liquor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just really interesting to me. I, uh, especially because some of it's so foreign. Like, have you, have either of you ever gotten into a relationship, short or long term, that involved like a like a a BDSM contract, or are you in one now? Like, not a contract, but definitely uh, there were there were well. There was a lot of BDSM. Like, there was definitely a power dynamic within the relationship that was agreed upon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. I think every relationship, whether it's sort of BDSM or not, has some kind of power dynamic. The the difference is, you know, is it eroticized and is it codified? Is it actually agreed upon in advance? You know, Mm -hmm. we, we all live with these these roles husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And those roles mean something to us. And really, a DS relationship isn't any difference in that they have roles that they interpret and internalize and those roles mean something to them and they enact it in certain ways. It just seems to be that it's open to discussion uh, and it, it and needs starts to be, with think. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would, I think all need to be, yeah. I think we're having like a lot of Wouldn't problems. Wouldn't that be nice? No, it'd be really nice. <laughs> I think we're having a lot of problems in, uh, in traditional relationships. I know I have uh, in just like a, misconstruing of what the actual power dynamic should be or is you know these are things that are not generally openly discussed when couples get together Mm -hmm. there's not usually a discussion of hey what does it mean to you to be a boyfriend people just assume that that uh it's going to be exactly like their their parents power dynamic was or whatever yeah can i share an amazing moment i had recently in the uh just communicating relationship design before Basically, mm-hmm. I have a friend who I could tell that I liked this person and they, I kind of tell it like me, but I also knew like what I wanted, what I didn't want. And so we had, we hadn't even kissed, like we had just been texting and, you know, friends and I just called him finally. I was like, look, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I can't do. This is what I want to do. What are you into? What is this? And we had this whole conversation before. So we actually like made a date for our first kiss oh, that's awesome. and like, like had this whole like we had pre-designed what the parameters of the relationship were. So it wasn't like you hook up one night awkwardly and drunk and then talk about it and like, oh, what was that? What do we want? Do we want to do anything like that? It was all, and it was really 
wonderful. And it was just as exciting. I think more exciting because we knew that we were okay with it, but then we still had to do the things. Right. I feel like I need to try out doing that with a person at some point, because I will say, we talk about this a lot on this show. We talk a lot about, you know, uh, basically screening yourself and your Mm -hmm. partner for, in all sorts of different ways. And, constantly you know talking about how you feel and they feel and what they're okay with and what you're okay with and mm-hmm. what's all right but spontaneity is such a huge turn on for me mm-hmm. like i i am almost the idea of contriving something is is i should rather say yeah the idea of contriving something is a huge turn off for me right you know like we were talking a few episodes ago about hitting on people mm-hmm. and reed was saying that you should just is it okay if i hit on you uh or is it okay if i flirt with you and I think that that would totally ruin it for me. Just like I think oh, it would man. be harder for me to... That's the only way I can flirt. Get it. <laughs> it's interesting. You haven't it asked is me terrifying. <laughs> it, it is terrifying. Let's turn to... the microphone off. <laughs> uh, and on the same note, I think that it would be... It would ruin it a little bit for me if the if the dynamic of a relationship were like laid out in front of me. Mm-hmm. And then it's like... Because then it feels like, well, now I'm just fulfilling my expectations mm. rather than actually choosing to do something. Uh, that like sort of removes the excitement from it a little bit for me, I think, but maybe not. I don't know. It's different. I don't know. Once you start doing it, you're like, oh, this is this is even more exciting because yeah. You, I mean, I used to be afraid I, that it would just kill all the the excitement. That's what it feels like to me when I think about it. But I've never actually acted on this, so no, it's different. I think it depends so much on what you're talking about because you know you can like communicate at the outset of relationship and set parameters but not have to actually set, like, you know, end goals or, or anything like that. I mean, I think in the case of BDSM, you have to set the parameters and communicate so that you have consent. Absolutely. But in the case of, like, regular dating, you know, uh, I, I think our culture doesn't really emphasize to us the idea of communicating these things. And it really uh, emphasizes, you know, the importance of spontaneity and, and, and sort of a natural flow to things, which I think are wonderful things. But I think that one thing that, uh, that BDSM can help with is that it kind of encourages, um, by necessity, a little more communication, not so much like, well, you have to do, um, well, how, how do I put this? Uh, it encourages communication in terms of it sets the parameters of what's okay and what's not okay. And those parameters become kind of the playground that you can kind of run around with it. Yeah, the boundary right. of the playground. You know, how far can you play? See, there's all the spontaneity you want within that playground. And really, that's no different than any relationship. It's just most relationships, you don't know where the boundaries of the playground necessarily are. Mm-hmm. Sure. And you're constantly... That's true. That is very true. Oh, yeah. I will say I do, I do like to constantly ask <laughs> uh, uh, whoever my partner is uh, what they're... What they're what they like about what we're doing or whatever, you know what I mean? Do you like it now? Do you like it now? 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 Do you like it now? 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 This is what dating me is like. Hi! 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 Do you like this? Do you like this? Do you like this? And then I and then I pass out. That's also um, how I flirt. Uh, <laughs> man, flirting is hard, huh? It is so hard. Oh God! Um, but it's so fun. Ryan, do you have a tip for us? Because I would love just the tip. Oh, well, All right, I okay. have three Show tips. myself out. <laughs> oh, gross. Gross. So many tips. You should have two of those cut off. Oh. <laughs> That'd be a different podcast, I think. <laughs> um, three tips. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to kind of give a shout out to all the people that uh, are bottoms or submissives or whatever and hey. kind of give them three very quick tips that I, I feel like aren't 
emphasized enough. Um, one is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, people, guys and girls, uh, that get involved in the scene. It's most common to first try BDSM in like the mid-20s in America, mm-hmm. research has shown. So they get out in the clubs and what they might not realize is that BDSM ultimately, overall, is supposed to support your self-esteem as a sub or a bottom and not undermine it. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go and engage in hardcore humiliation play, but that doing that scene and overcoming that should be a boon to your self-esteem. You should feel better about yourself yeah. afterward. And if you're in a DS relationship, you know, it should overall be a boon to your self-esteem. But if you find yourself feeling bad more often than not after a scene or in a relationship, then that's a good sign that there's something wrong. And uh, Oh, that's a really good uh, personal gauge. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And if a dom ever says something like, oh, well, real subs or real slaves don't need safe words, run away. Oh. Yeah, that's not. I mean, even if, I think, yeah. even oh in. God. It's like the worst t-shirt slogan ever. You know, people, there are people that, that say that and that sort of view like, oh, well, if you're really submissive, you should be able to take anything I want. These people are not pleasure tops. You know, but that's they're, not, but that's, they're just crazy. <laughs> because then it seems like it's not actually BDSM. It's uh, not because if you don't have a safe word or a safe signal or some way to indicate that you have removed your consent, then you don't have consent. Mm-hmm. And um, I think even in a DS relationship, even if it's it's a twenty four seven master slave high protocol relationship, there has to be some method or mechanism for open two way communication between the partners where some way for the submissive to express displeasure or limits or whatever that the dom will then hear and consider uh you know whether it's like a dedicated check-in time or a certain kind of like signal or a certain ritual you can do there has to be a way for the people to check in as real people to make sure that everything is still what you know meeting everyone's needs and again that's not always emphasized enough for people that are getting into more elaborate DS relationships. Yeah. I like just time out. Uh, are you are you really is everything fine? Are you yeah yeah I'm fine. Okay, time in. Yeah. Is that all of them? Those are my three tips. Oh, thank you. Oh. Uh, can we? Oh God, can we talk about? Oh, what was the thing? It was there was a phrase you said uh, to me. Oh. Oh my God! Sorry, I'm. <laughs> editing point right now <laughs> what did i write down oh okay okay guys so i had asked ryan okay mr witherspoon what are you really passionate about right now since you're uh, you know checking out all the alt sex research and whatnot and you ryan said uh you were really into how people conceptualize relationships and Mm -hmm. the rules inherent in that and i just was like that's so interesting because people do have these concepts of what a relationship is right uh going into it i uh recently spoke to an ex of mine from many years ago and just in us kind of talking and processing the relationship i realized that we had completely different concepts of what the agreements and the relationship was yeah. that we had been in and it was so interesting to go like oh you thought we were this and i thought we were that and mm-hmm. that's why we were didn't 
So please uh, tell me more about these things. Oh gosh, well we've we've touched on it a little bit when it comes to BDSM's aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very interested when it comes to monogamy and consensual non-monogamy about how people conceptualize their relationships around that. I mean, most people when they get together with uh, a partner and form a relationship, there's not often a outright discussion of, hey, here's what cheating means to me. And by the way, cheating is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people, you know, cuckold fetishists who want to be cheated on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not always a conversation among people about what those parameters are. And so there's a lot of assumptions that get made. And uh, you see this a lot right now with, you know, uh, the whole Facebook thing as being mm-hmm. a great way to you know, talk to other people and talk to exes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing now a lot of divorces that are predicated on the person was, you know, unfaithful over Facebook. Huh. You know, because they talked to their ex or sent steamy messages back and forth, whereas other person might not have even realized that that was technically infidelity to their partner. Right. So these things mean different things to different people. And I think when it comes to something like, say, uh, swinging or polyamory, these are topics that, as with BDSM, have to get discussed openly and, and up front because, you know, there's all different kinds of ways of doing it. Okay. The thing that really stands out for me is the conversation that people do not have about uh, what is cheating. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's a really important... I mean, if you're committing to someone and you want to have... The, and you have these expectations and that's part of like creating like the playground is... Can you hang out with, I mean, if it's a male-female relationship, can you hang out with people of the opposite sex, uh, yeah. you know, even as friends? Because some people get really jealous and feel like they're being cheated sure. on then. Yeah, yeah. What is your playground? It's, yeah. it's really interesting. People who, um, I was just in a car with a married couple and a friend, and I, we'd been at a party where I was like cuddling with a couple friends who had other partners, and they were really confused. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, people... You know, cuddling is fine. I know that in their relationships, that's fine because it's just cuddling. It doesn't have to be sexual, and and you could just tell that both the married couple, both people were just getting very like, quiet, sure, in uh-huh. a very thinking deep kind of way. And I could just tell, I could feel it because I was on driving yeah. that this was definitely not a conversation they'd ever had before. <laughs> right, right, and this <laughs> so is kind of an important thing, you know, like, hey, what does fidelity mean to you? And. uh I think if more people had these kind of conversations sooner in the relationship and actually made it a conversation, then I think that you'd see, you know, uh, a lot more successful relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing I think that the, the swinging and polyamory communities have something to, to offer to other people who maybe aren't interested in those lifestyles, but the ways of talking about, you know, what's, uh, these kinds of things like infidelity mean to you and what your boundaries are is a lot that I think a lot of couples can learn from that. And same with jealousy. You know, these communities have really come up with wonderful ways of reconceptualizing jealousy compared to how I think most people in our American culture view jealousy, which is basically the worst thing ever and you'll die from it. Yeah, it's this horrible cult d- dead end that if you get stuck there, you're trapped and it's it's the worst place ever. Yeah, you know, most people, when I, like uh, the by far most common response when I mentioned, uh, say, polyamory to somebody who is not polyamorous, the most common reason why they say they couldn't do it is they, oh, I would get jealous. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the question is, well you know, what does that mean? And what then? You know, mm-hmm. getting jealous doesn't mean like getting terminal cancer. 
You know, it, it means, okay, if you feel jealous, that means that's an indication that there is something going on either in yourself or in the relationship that needs to be looked at more. Mm-hmm. But I think in our culture, we treat jealousy as this apocalyptic, unsurvivable emotion. You avoid jealousy. You don't go into jealousy and explore it. You avoid the jealousy. It's yeah. something that you constantly turn left and right to avoid. Yeah. And they treat jealousy like this single construct like jealousy is just its own thing but jealousy we try and define it it's hard to define because it means different things to different people you know for some person for some people jealousy might be that they feel like their relationship security is being threatened Mm -hmm. other people might feel uh, personally insecure and that's how and that's what jealousy feels like to them other people might feel left out of something mm-hmm. and that feels like jealousy to them and so jealousy can mean a lot of different things and what it means can be a clue to how to get past it hmm. jealousy does feel absolutely horrible oh it's I yeah not say. pleasant uh and I, I i do not fault people who run from jealousy mm-hmm. at all uh as i am one of those people yeah <laughs> uh but uh but yeah that's interesting i wonder it's just so funny i I'm trying to think about how to like translate these things into like a like a like a regular monogamous relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very difficult to have these discussions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's like you know, most I think a lot of relationships. I won't say most um, who are monogamous. If one partner feels jealous, you know, often enough, what'll happen is that it turns into this big fight, and they're yelling at each other. Whereas right. It's instead, a terrible. Or sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, and. No, finish. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, whereas instead, what if when one person felt jealous, they first took care of themselves? Maybe they go take a bath, they go read, they go get some time by themselves to actually think and process, all right, what am I feeling and what does that mean? And then go talk to the partner, you know, as opposed to the emotion or the feeling of jealousy inspiring this automatic emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, instead, people can take a more mindful approach and really take some time and space for themselves and put thought into what are they actually feeling and experiencing and then decide how they want to uh, react yeah. from that. You know, that's actually what I do. Uh, I get really jealous in relationships, and uh, but I know uh, the reason that I hate it so much is that I do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will like feel like extremely jealous and just be filled with what is basically rage uh mm-hmm. and i'll like know that it's not fair i'll like know it and and i'll be like okay i'll like make myself think about it and then give myself some time and then bring it up yeah which is, i think is a much health- healthier way to deal with it but either way i've felt all that and it's not good like it doesn't help me at all and i haven't really yeah. found that met with much uh like resolution in my partners, whether they were, you know, uh, a, like a, a good girlfriend or, a, or, or I don't mean good or bad, but I mean like one of the Stable, more mutualistic stable. relationships I've had rather than mm-hmm. one where she was more inclined to get one up on me, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's very, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's very difficult for me to imagine a situation where I would say, I got jealous for this reason. And the girl would say, let me solve that problem for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, and even if, you know, 
it, it, like say the relationship still ends, at least then you've gained that much more clarity into what your response was and why. So you can learn to like avoid that next time or whatever. I mean, I'm hoping that that is some kind of positive outcome you get. Sure. That's true. That's true. I, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I have no solution there. I, uh, at all. <laughs> if, if, call me and we'll, we'll work it out. You know, we'll, like, just I'll be process. fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Well, I mean, from a couple years ago to now in terms of how I can handle jealousy, because it's the difference is I, I can't even believe the lack of tools I had a couple of years ago to handle my own negative feelings in that area. And now yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling jealous. Beep, bop, boop, da, da, da. You know, calculate, calculate. Sure. Oh, I get it. I'm afraid of loss of love. I need a hug. And uh, maybe some <laughs> special time later. Yeah, you know, that's basically like, what it is for me, too. It still hurts, though, but, I bet. It always hurts. That's what's so terrible about it. Eradicating it, that type of feeling from your brain would be so nice. What's really unfortunate from, like, in the situation where you get jealous is a lot of times, at least in my experience, the other person gets mad at me for being jealous. Like, which just makes it even worse, you know? Like, I get, je- I will get jealous of my girlfriend because she, I don't know, whatever. It seemed like she was flirting with a guy, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll be like... I wish you wouldn't have done that. That made me feel this way or something, which right. is an unfair thing for me to say. I wish you wouldn't have done that. But still, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. And she'll go, you don't trust me. <laughs> it's like, and then we're fucked. You know, oh. we have a terrible night after that. So it sounds like you get triggered and then she gets triggered because of your trigger. Everybody's triggered. And everybody's triggered. Trigger party. Yeah. Woo. It's a lame party. Oh, uh, yeah. Lame party. No. Um, in my, <laughs> in my experiences. <laughs> It's like the worst party ever. In my experiences, um, especially in relationships, um, I've learned to yeah, find out what the underlying needs are that I need. So I take care of myself and all that. And then if it's jealousy because there's a threat of someone else or whatnot, um, I, I replace it with compersion. So I'm, I find the love. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I switch it out with love and I realize and I remind myself that there's abundance, that there's not a limited amount of love in the world. And there's not a limited amount. Like, like, there's no limit to the amount That's of whatever. That's such a good point. So when I start thinking in terms of abundance instead of, oh, there's only so much of this person and this thing and these feelings and so I need to come back. It's... um It's very relaxing to think about abundance. So. I, I'm so glad that you put it in that way because I think that's a really... Uh, critical way of thinking that I think a lot of people in our culture uh, don't share. And it's one thing that uh, the polyamorous community really has uh, has pushed forward is the idea that, you know, we live in a culture where uh, things like sex and love are, are treated as zero-sum commodities. So if I have less, that means you have more. Or if I have more, then you have less. No, that's mm-hmm. true. But, uh, but these things sex and love you know they're they're regenerative they're they're infinite Mm -hmm. and like you said if you look at it from a point of view of abundance i think it can kind of help neutralize a lot of the core uh instigators of jealousy um and i think it's one thing that the 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 polyamorous people you know i think uh, have a a great way of looking at it in that way Mm -hmm. and we can all learn from those those tools yeah you know i you know Things like BDSM, polyamory, swinging, for a lot of people, most people, it's not going to be something that they want to do themselves. But it doesn't mean that these lifestyles can't add something and have something to teach others. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not a matter of better or worse. It's just different preferences. 
you know how like everyone's like, oh yeah, don't worry, I understand because I've got a black friend. You know, like, people like say like, oh, well, I've got this one Asian friend. It's like you need to have the swinging friend, the polyamory friend, and your BDSM friend so that you can have those conversations and like kind of learn from what they're going yeah, through. Yeah, it yeah. would benefit all of us to uh, to uh, sit down and talk more and come to an agreement about what our relationships are about more. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we are coming to an end here, guys. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I wanted to share a little thing that I saw that I thought was really funny all online. Right. Um, but I, is there anything you want to leave us with at all or uh, all the last statistics staring at you? No, uh, no, no, nobody wants to hear that stuff. Pa- it's all powerful. Oh, man, I do. Oh, well, numbers. we can, uh, we can talk after the <laughs> session. I'll, I'll fill you full of numbers. It'll be great. Oh, uh, sex nerds. Uh, one of you tweeted at me about 3d printing, um, sex toys recently. And I mean, I don't know if you guys are into, 3D printers, but I find the idea fascinating. Are you familiar with oh, the I idea? Am, yeah, you know, just, it's, it's really cool. Um, so, anyway, um, they were asking me about toy materials and what toy materials are safe and okay to use. Uh, because, of course, if people are using 3D printers to create your own sex toy, and then it's a material that's not good for your body. Mm. And I, ha- I had to say, I, I don't really know because I don't. There's all these new materials they're using. And uh, on Jezebel, they released a, an article, um, you may have seen it, uh, called Your Next Sex Toy Could Come Out of a 3D Printer, Not Safe for Work, by George Dvorsky. And it's all about how there are companies popping up and that are pr- you can actually ask for different shapes and they'll print it for you. Um, oh, you cool. can design your own ah, sex toy. Cool. The very last paragraph I thought was interesting because it said, in addition, the material used for printing polyvinyl alcohol is water soluble, meaning that water-based lubricants can't be used. Uh, and lastly, 3D printers are expensive, uh, so not everyone can do that right now. But, I mean, I've never, polyvinyl alcohol as a solid substance that for a sex toys, I've never heard of that. I don't know anything about it. Um, <laughs> it's funny. You have to have that product in your 3D printer, right? Like, isn't right. that it's so interesting? To, I just feel like it would be easier to go buy a sex toy than it would be to buy polyvinyl or whatever. Um, right. I don't mean to, unless sorry, I unless you want to, oh, because they, oh, they can do a scan of your penis and create an exact replica of your penis. Oh, my Lord. So you can give everyone a penis. I would love to give people my penis for Christmas. Oh, yeah, I got Christmas. excited. <laughs> I got excited about this because I always tell people like, oh, silicone lube. You can't use it with silicone toys. You know, basics, oil and uh, condoms can't work. Water base works with everything. Now I can't say that anymore huh. because this polyvinyl alcohol is water soluble. Oh, man. So, that's, that's a little weird to me because, I mean, you know, there can be trace amounts of water in, inside the rectum so or, or vagina, for oh, that that's matter. Oh, true. Fact, vagina especially. I mean, you want this breaking down inside you. I don't know how soluble it is, but it's like soap or something or just disappears. But That's true because then does that mean you would have to use just rubbing alcohol or something on that to or clean it? Or a condom it? over and then, it or something? Yeah, yeah, the cleaning. Hmm, I'm going to have to look at this. I love this so much. This dildo will self-destruct. <laughs> In two vaginas. In two vaginas. <laughs> um... <laughs> Hey, Ryan Witherspoon, thank you so much. Uh, do you have a, a Twitter or a Facebook or anything that you want to leave people with? Oh, you know, I should have thought of that, actually. <laughs> I they could ask you. Yeah, they can, they can find me on Facebook. It's under my email, ryanwitherspoon at gmail.com. Okay. And then uh, you can keep track of all of my various goings-on. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I can't thank wait. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh-huh. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing the show. It was great to meet you. So fun. Oh, go Team Fun, dude. Go Team Fun. Yeah. All right.